prepare to experience the strongest radio allowable by law. Secrets will be revealed. Myths dispelled. From the studio gym where excuses never apply. It's Superhuman Radio with your host, Carl Lenore. It's a new week here at the Superhuman Nation, and at the helm, my name is Carl Lenore, if you've never heard the show before. November will be our 13th year on the air, and today's proof that we have longevity, because I'm going to be interviewing somebody who I interviewed back in 2007. And uh, uh, as I've said in the write-up for today, few have de- devoted the time and energy into discovering the most productive training techniques than my next guest, James Krieger. Before we get started with that, I have to, of course... Thank All American Pharmaceutical and their brand, EFX Sports. They are the title sponsor. They make a very, very large contribution to keeping the show alive. And uh, as such, they're giving away six of their top selling products absolutely free to anybody in my audience, anybody who's listening to the show today, uh, just to try because Dr. Jeff Galini, uh, who started uh, All American Pharmaceutical, I guess. Um, 30-something years ago now, uh, believes that no one should buy anything until they've tried it. And uh, so they send you free stuff. He's always given away free stuff. In fact, when he first started doing this show many years ago, I started calling him Supplement Santa, and that name has actually stuck now. So if you go to supremeradio.net and you click any one of the uh, EFX banner ads, you'll be asked to put your name and address in and spend $5 and change for shipping, and you get six of the top-selling products plus a bunch of other goodies. There's always extra stuff in there. People are always surprised uh, so that you can try them, and then if you like them, then you can buy them. So it's been since 2007 since James Krieger and I have spent time across the microphone. How are you doing, James? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So 2007, you did a, a, a show that uh, with me that actually changed the way I train. Um, I, I started to, you know, the, we've talked forever about, you know, uh, the difference between the training regimens that create neuromuscular adaptations and the training regimens that create hypertrophy, and they are different. Uh, and back then, you did a meta-analysis and revu- reviewed uh, uh, the available literature to come up with, I believe now, you know, it's, it's, it's been a long time. I could be wrong, but I want to say 12 was the magic, the sweet spot. 12 reps was the sweet spot for getting the most out of your workout and and then and not exceeding the, uh, the the point where there's diminishing returns was that do, do I recall correctly? Um, I didn't do one on reps back then. I did do one on sets, and I remember there was a dose response relationship between the more sets you did, the more hypertrophy you got. But and and that was with sets in the you know eight to twelve range. Maybe that maybe that's what I remember. Right, it was volume. Right, you looked at the volume. Yeah, yeah, it was volume. Yeah, yeah so, so um, people could save the time. Like uh, there are people out there that are doing ten sets of stuff, and maybe they only needed to stop at six because really seven, eight, nine, and ten were not doing anything special, right? So it was yeah. It, I mean, there were a lot of limitations in the analysis at the time. Um, uh, you know. I think I only had eight studies to work with at the time that I did the analysis on. And, and I, I remember I looked at it in terms of sets per exercise. And so it was like, 
you know, two to three sets per exercise was better than one. And then there was some evidence that four to six was better than two to three, although statistically I didn't really have enough data to show that. Um, and, but then I didn't have any data beyond, you know, four to six. And that was sets per exercise, not necessarily per muscle group. So um, it's interesting. Brad Schoenfeld and I actually did an updated analysis of that same data uh, just a couple of years ago now. Um, and there were a lot of new studies that we added and stuff. And, and that one is gotten, you know, a lot of people quote that one and where we, we found that basically kind of double digit weekly volumes, you know, 10 plus sets per week, not necessarily per session, but per week, um, seem to give the best hypertrophy response. Uh, so, um, so we're constantly updating, you know, the data as, as we get new studies out and actually, uh, it's interesting, Brad has a study in review. I can't, unfortunately, I can't really talk about the details right now because it's in review. Uh, but, um, it's, it's a really interesting volume study that I'll, I'll say it may, um, change people's uh, views on how, um, on training volume, but, uh, um, that study's in review and hopefully if, uh, hopefully it'll be published here in the next uh, two or three months so, you know, if we, we've just gone through a second round of reviews. So, um, so hopefully we'll, we're going to be, you'll be seeing that soon. So. Yeah, that's exciting. And you know, and the bottom line is that all people want is to be able to feel confident that what they're doing is going to get them the most amount of response for the the least amount of work, right? You know, the, the, the lowest effective dose, which yeah, is yeah, across, yeah. across science everywhere. So, and, and you guys are trying to, to figure that out. That's really wonderful. Yeah, we're trying, definitely trying to figure out, you know, yeah, the definitely, you know, what the dose response relationship is and, and uh, you know, um, you know, how much, you know, how much people need to do to get a minimal response and versus, you know, how much you need to do to get a maximal response, you know, and, and uh, you know, um, so yeah, that's something we've been, uh, you know, working on a lot and really kudos to Brad because he's the guy that collects, you know, gets all the subjects and collects all the data. I just run the stats, so. <laughs> no, I know, and we, you know, he's been on the show numerous times. I actually affectionately call him Doctor Muscle uh, for that reason <laughs> because I kind of feel like he's the patron saint of muscle, you know. And and but you know, oh, yeah. but but what has come from all of his efforts and all of your efforts is, in fact, that um, you know, low reps and heavy weight create neuromuscular adaptations that don't necessarily beget bigger muscles. They beget stronger muscles, more efficient muscles, but really volume is king when it comes to building bigger muscles. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, theories on that. Um, I, I've always, I keep looking at the fascia of the muscle as being this, this restrictive uh, envelope. You know, you know, like if, if you have a, if you have a lemon plant, a lemon tree and you just keep it in a small, pot plant, a pot, pot you know, a, a clay pot, it'll never really get as big as it can be if you, as if you plant it in the ground and it can, it root system can just grow abundantly because what grows under the ground is equivalent to what is above the ground. And I think of the fascia of the muscle in the same context. Um, I think of the fascia of the muscle as being restrictive and I, then I, and I think you and I actually discussed this back then. You know, I, I think I used the analogy back then that if, if you've ever blown up one of those balloons that they use to make balloon animals out of, the first time you blow it up, you, you, you can actually hurt your jaw muscles trying to blow it up. 
The second time, it's a little easier. The third time, it's a little easier. The fourth time, it's easier. And because it keeps stretching, and every time it stretches, it's easier to get volume in there. And I think of the fascia of the muscle as being this restrictive component of muscle size overall and dictating just how much the fibers can grow. So volume stretches the heck out of that. You know, the pump stretches the heck out of that. Do we know now that the fascia, that, that actually causing adaptation to the fascia contributes to, uh, the size a muscle can get? Um, as far as I know, that's still not been investigated. I, I, I really don't know. Um, I mean, it's possible, but I haven't, I haven't seen that literature. Uh, um, so that's still an area that, that could certainly be explored still. Um, um, uh, you know, it seems like all the data right now has been more on, you know, things like muscle protein synthesis and anabolic signaling and things like that. And, and there's some data on the impacts of volume on that, although really not enough. Um, uh, in fact, it was just really, there's only one, I would say, really good study looking at set volume and muscle protein synthesis. And that was done out of Stu Phillips lab. And, uh, they just compared three sets of leg extensions to one, um, but they didn't compare it. You know, they didn't actually look at even higher volumes. And, and uh, um, that would be really interesting data to me is to look at the muscle protein synthesis response. And um, we do have some anabolic signaling data that shows, you know, higher volumes produce greater anabolic right. signaling. But, right. but, um, but, but see, we see, um, we, we see that same exact data uh, in, in uh, when they use uh, vascular occlusion type training with light weights, which, which speaks to, you see, it's really hard to determine the role of the fascia in a vacuum because you have what the things that stretch the muscle, uh, congestion also increase growth factors, intramuscular growth factors, and a, f- a variety of other phenomena that contribute to hypertrophy. Uh, the only way I think I've thought about this and, you know, I'm not a scientist, you know, I'm, I mean, I, I just talk to people and, I think of things and, you know, I have a fairly well work, working brain. And I think to myself, you know, if you wanted to do a fascia study, how could you do it? And I think one way to do it would be to do continuous reps versus, uh, reps over time so that both groups are doing the same volume, but one group is getting the pump and one isn't. And what would that contribute to muscle size? Because I, I, I keep believing, you know, I worked on the racetrack. And uh, if you've ever worked for, with a farrier, a, a, a blacksmith, they have a right forearm that looks like Popeye's forearm. They have a left forearm that looks like every other guy's forearm in the world. And a lot of people say, well, that's because they, you know, they grip that hammer so hard. And I don't think that's it. I think that if you look at the way they swing the hammer, they're forcing blood into that forearm 10,000 times a day. The inertia of swinging that hammer and hammering that, that shoe one after, after the other – the, the, the forearm literally starts to swell. Blood gets congested in it. And it's not, you're not, you don't have any reps. It's not like they're squeezing the handle every time they, 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 uh, they swing it. And, and I keep coming back to this phenomenon that if we understood how to stretch, stretch the fascia, we could get hypertrophy to occur faster because the muscle would feel that it has more room to grow. I would love to see somebody do a study that, that kind of focuses on that. I really would. Yeah. And it's, it's, I will say it's very challenging to do because even, even the, the experiment you propose, 
um, you still have a lot of confounders. So, for example, and, and there are studies where they'll, you know, equate training volume and they'll have, you know, um, well, actually, uh, there was one study by an author named Goto, uh, Goto, uh, some Jap- I, I think it was a Japanese group of researchers, and they had two groups. They had uh, one group do just basically sets of 10 to failure. Um, I think it was like three sets of 10 or five. No, it was five sets of 10 on leg extensions to failure. And then we had the other group do two sets of five with the same weight, but they took like a 30-second break. Uh, um, basically, they would do a set of 10, but they'd take a 30-second break at rep, rep five. So they're basically doing two sets of five, um, and they were taking that 30-second break. So, but the, the load was the same, so the volume load was the same between the groups. But the group that actually trains continuous reps to failure gained more size. Um, um, but the confounder in that is, yeah, you know, you could have fascia and stuff, but another confounder is simply muscle fiber recruitment. Right. Um, because we know, especially with moderate weights, muscle fiber recruitment is driven by fatigue. And so if you're taking a 30 second break, you know, at rep five, you're basically resting and you're not getting the fatigue. Um, and so you're not getting the, the, the fiber recruitment that you normally would get. Um, yeah. and I know there's a lot of, uh, there's data to suggest that that's the case with vascular occlusion because there's some data to show there's no difference in muscle size gains between vascular occlusion with lightweights or if you just take lightweights to failure, um, which would suggest that what the vascular occlusion may be doing is basically creates the metabolic stress. It's, it's like, now, yeah, the, me- the metabolic stress that would end up being the end point of a failure set. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like you're, you're basically using the vascular occlusion. It's like, the, you know, let's say you're doing a set of 30 reps to failure. That first 20 reps, you're just trying to build up the fatigue to get the muscle fiber recruitment, right? right. So the vascular occlusion is like just doing that first 20 reps for you is what it's doing. Um, uh, so it's just it, it's it'd be really hard to study simply because you have those confounders. Um, you would need some type of I would almost feel like you would need some type of experimental manipulation of you know whether it's rabbit muscle, rodent muscle, yeah, and maybe yeah. you you pre-stretch the fascia or, or something. You'd have yes. to you have to do some type of uh, so, experiment so, so what, like that. Yeah. So what what you could do is uh, either use um, you could use maybe like a, a saline. You know, you don't like like a lot of these guys that uh, that use synthol. You know, they 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 inject their muscles, they stretch the muscle. I mean, maybe you could use a saline to stretch the muscle a cer- certain number of times, and then you know evacuate it, and and then see what happens just by normally reloading the muscle after that stretch. Would does the muscle grow because now it has more room? That's really a good idea, actually. Yeah, you'd have to do something. You'd have to do something like that, but you'd have to, yeah, somehow eliminate. The you have to. You have to. You have to eliminate the mechanical loading and repetitions and all the things that we do in training, yeah. and just somehow stretch the fascia by itself. Yeah, that would be interesting. That would be really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So um, I want to take our first commercial break, and when we come back, I want to talk about your most recent uh, paper, the uh, the exertion load theory. Just give the uh, the audience a snapshot the 30,000-foot view of what do you mean when you talk about the exertion load theory? Um, so the exertion load really uh, is just kind of a, a way to, another way to assess volume, but also take into consideration the effort level. Um, uh. Because other, other metrics of volume don't necessarily consider your effort level. 
Um, and, and when you get back from the break, I can you know go into more detail what I mean by that. Okay. So. Okay, so let's do this. Now, for those of you uh, who want to connect uh, with James Krieger, he has a website called weightology.net. What will people find at weightology.net, James? Uh, so I have uh, a bunch of stuff on there. I actually have a research review um, and actually have a, a, a full article for my research review subscribers on actually the topic that we're going to talk about. Okay. Um, where actually, I actually come up, because uh, the exertional concept was developed by a guy named Robert Frederick, and then I took the concept and modified it so it was more relevant to hypertrophy, and I, then I called it, you know, basically hypertrophic reps or hypertrophic load. But, uh, um, but I have a full, you know, research review, and it's a really small monthly fee that people can pay to, to see the research review. And I cover all the latest research in, in you know, training for hypertrophy and also fat loss and everything like that. Um, but I also have free content on there. I've got free articles. People can read. Um, I have you know all my past podcast appearances on there. Um, uh, so yeah, so there's a, there's a bunch of different stuff that people can check out. There you go. That's weightology.net. Check it out. We'll be right back with more of Superhuman Radio. Stay tuned. Who ever heard of a supplement company that lets you pick the products they make and sell? What you have now, we are All American Body, a factory direct supplement brand proudly brought to you by All American Pharmaceutical. Don't pay more somewhere else. You can get the same or even better products directly from us. Now check this out. All American Body is a brand about you. Tell us what to make next so you can save big. Go ahead and request a specific ingredient. You know, arginine, citrulline, vitamin D, a product type or category, keto, greens, naturals, herbals, nootropics, and even a specific branded product or formula. We'll either copy it exactly or make it even better. And best of all, it won't cost anything close to what you've been paying, period. And if we do end up using your suggestion, you'll get the first bottle absolutely free. We'll also give you full credit on that product's description page. You'll be famous signing autographs and people asking you to take pictures with them wherever you go. So head on over to allamericanbody.com right now. That's allamericanbody.com and make your product request today. All American Body. Crazy savings, insane results. New Mass Pro Synthogen X2 just upped its own legendary game. To distance itself even further from the rest of the pack, Synthogen X2 now has double the key active ingredients. If you've ever wondered what steroid-like recovery feels like, Synthogen X2 delivers. See why others compare it favorably to powerful bodybuilding drugs at Synthogen.com. Mass Pro Synthogen. When you train with it, you'll gain with it. Ever feel like you want something crunchy? From the company that gave us the Quest Protein Bar now comes the Quest High Protein Potato Chips with 21 grams of high-quality protein and only 5 grams of carbs and no artificial ingredients. Just like Quest Bars, you'll feel like you're cheating, but you're not. Go to superhumanradio.com and click the Quest High Protein Potato Chip banner ad today and get ready to be satisfied. Thanks to Quest Nutrition, chips just aren't what they used to be. Hi, I'm Ashley Grace, co-founder of H-Hemp Company. Hemp CBD improved my life so much that I started H-Hemp Company to help others naturally feel better. You don't have to have had a severe brain injury like me to benefit from H-Hemp Company products. If you're struggling to feel better, calm your brain, or better deal with daily stress and want to do so naturally, please try H-Hemp Company products. Search H-Hemp Company and use code SHR for 20% off and free shipping. That's H-Hemp Company and code SHR. Hey, this is Carl. Start your day just like I do with a high-dose lipospheric vitamin C from Live On Labs. You too can benefit from Live On Labs liposphere delivery system. No more pills or powders. That's outdated technology. 
Live On Labs has the world's most efficient vitamin delivery system, period. Learn a lot more today at liveonlabs.com and benefit from their new reduced pricing. That's liveonlabs.com, L-I-V-O-N, labs.com. Mitochondrial uncoupling is the holy grail of fat loss. Making mitochondria work harder raises body temperature and metabolic rate without the jitters of stimulants. Now there is an over-the-counter mitochondrial uncoupler that will let you shred your body down to the last pounds of body fat. It's Trojan Horse. This is the supplement breakthrough of the decade. Go to superhumanradio.com and click the Trojan Horse banner ad. Use coupon code SHR and save 20% off your order today. BlackstoneLabs.com. Trojan Horse. You're listening to the Superhuman Channel. We're ripped and we're ready. Welcome back to Superhuman Radio. We're trying to help you get the most out of your training every single day. And the only way to do that is to keep following the science as we uh, peel back the onion and we learn more. We're talking with James Krieger today. His website is weightology.net. So uh, talk about it. What is, uh, what is this, uh, this loading approach that you're talking about? So um, traditionally, if you look at uh, scientific studies, they typically just measure volume in terms of what you might call volume load, which would just be the sets times the reps times the weight. And so, for example, um, you know, if you were to do um, one rep with 100 pounds um, 10 times, but you took like a one-minute rest between reps, you know, that's one times 100 times 10. I mean, that's basically a load volume of 1,000 pounds. Or you could just do 100 pounds of 10 continuous reps to failure, and that's still the same volume load. There's still a thousand pounds of volume load, but the biological effects, the hypertrophic effects are going to be very different between the two. Um, you know, in the first case, you're really not going to get any hypertrophy because, you know, I mean, you're, you're doing one rep of a 10 rep max, um, which hardly causes any fatigue, you know, that first rep, and then you're taking a minute rest and then you're doing one more rep and you're taking a minute rest. Um, yeah, that's still a thousand pounds of volume load if you do that 10 times, but that's not going to have the same effect as if I take that same weight and just do 10 continuous reps to failure. Um, so that's the limitation of using volume load to try to assess training volume. Um, so, uh, and, and really what it's not considering is, you know, your typical measurement of volume load is not considering the effort level. Right. So that the examples I just gave in the first example, you know, it's not much effort, but in the second example, when you're taking the set to failure, it's a lot more effort. And so, so the question is, how can we take the effort level and incorporate that into the volume equation and, you know, come up with some number? So, so what was interesting is this, is this guy named Robert Frederick, um, and I want to give this guy a lot of credit here because he's kind of the, the guy that developed the concept. Um, he's got a website called stronger.io. It's like S-T-R-O-N-G-U-R.io. Um, he actually has an iPhone app that will actually calculate exertion load and things like that. But um, he came up with this concept of, the idea that, you know, as you do repetitions to failure, your, your, the speed of your repetition slows down. Right. And there's a fair amount of research to suggest that that correlates uh, very well with fatigue. And so um, he basically uh, thought that basically the increase in fatigue was exponential. Um, you know, some people might disagree with that because there is some studies to suggest that it's more linear rather than exponential, but... 
you know, that's kind of splitting hairs at this moment. No, but, I, um, I would agree it's exponential because, you know, if I'm doing, if I'm doing progressive sets, progressively heavier, set, heavier sets, uh, I, I just did it this morning. You know, um, I trained very hard this morning, and by the end of my workout, the, the things that I was doing, uh, the weights that I was failing on were not the weights I would have failed on uh, uh, earlier in, in, in the routine. And from one set to the other, it wasn't like just because I added uh, 20% more weight that I only did, you know, uh, some uh, number of less reps. I mean, like w- the last two sets, one was, one was like 18 reps and the next one was nine. You know, it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't like the next one was 15. And so now I, I, but see, when we talk about fatigue, we, 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 it, it, the water gets murky, at least for me, because there's peripheral fatigue and there's central fatigue. All, all of our strength starts in our brain. Uh, and we can't, and we can't necessarily measure what's going on in the brain and how it's affecting that workout. And, and, you know, I remember seeing a study once, uh, actually an, a, a, in video where they were having a guy do leg extensions to failure and he had reached his failure point. And then they had this magnetic device that kind of looked like a halo and they put it over his head and they said, now do more reps. He was like, I can't do more. They just, just do more reps. And he like, he did like an equal number of reps that he did to failure. The first time he was able to bust out when they blocked that brain part that causes central fatigue. So, so how do you, how do you tease out central fatigue from peripheral fatigue? Cause obviously central fatigue isn't going to contribute to muscle growth. Yeah. I, I don't know if you can. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure that you can. I mean, when you, um, cause the thing is, is no matter what you, you, whatever type of study you do, I mean, the most, the research I'm interested in is the type that applies to real life training anyway. So even the situation that you present doesn't necessarily apply to real life because people don't have those sort of devices, you know, when, when they're training, you know, just in the gym. So, so I'm just concerned with that. What, what actually happens, you know, whether it's central peripheral, I, at least me, I don't really care. I just want to see what applies to how people, most people train in the gym, you know, if they're doing sets to failure or whatever. Okay. And what's interesting is that, um, you know, um, when I talk about the velocity loss, I'm also talking about the velocity loss within a single set. So, from rep one, you know, let's say you're doing 10 reps to failure. From rep one to rep 10, your reps slow down um, because you, you get more and more fatigued as you get closer to failure. Right. And so so the idea is, you know, uh, Robert's idea was that, okay, um, that velocity is, uh, you know, his idea was that it's exponentially slowing down. Like I said, some research shows that linearly slows down. Um, doesn't really seem to matter a whole lot at this point. Um how can we take that concept, apply it to volume load, and come up with some number that incorporates that idea of fatigue that you, you're slowing down in reps or whatever? So he, he came up with an equation that was kind of exponential in nature. It's a really complicated equation. Um, you have to go to It's kind of hard. I wouldn't be able to describe it over the, the phone because it's a complex sum with an exponential function in it and things. But um, and, it, and it takes into consideration the reps you're doing and also the reps in reserve, which is how many reps you have till, you know, left till failure. Mm-hmm. So like a set to failure is obviously zero reps in reserve because you can't do any more voluntarily. Um, so he came up with this equation that is exponential to try. Um, and then he came up with the idea, then you multiply that by the load you're using, and that would give you this exertion load. Um, and so now you have a volume load that takes into consideration the effort level. 
Um, and I thought is is a really cool concept. Um, and I think it's a really good metric of training stress and fatigue. Um, but one big limitation in it is I'm still not sure it's a great metric for hypertrophy because um, when you think about motor unit recruitment when you're doing a set to failure, um, uh, there's a lot of evidence that you've pretty much recruited all your motor units within maybe three reps away from failure or so. Um, so, um, so you're already maximum, you know, once you get to around three reps of reserve, you, you're, you know, every muscle fiber, you're recruiting every fiber now. And, um, and now those reps become what we'd call effective reps or, you know, your most, or, or I would say hypertrophic reps. Okay. Um, and so the question I had is, well, how can we quantify these hypertrophic reps? And, and, uh, um, and like I said, I've seen, you know, my friend, uh, Berge Fagerly, um, you know, he's come up with a mile reps concept. Uh, you know, he's always called them effective reps. Uh, there's another research guy named Chris Beardsley. He called them stimulatory reps, but the concept is the same. It's, it's this idea that the reps that stimulate the most hypertrophy are the ones that recruit the most muscle fibers. And that, and that's why, you know, I mentioned that Goto study earlier when we were talking, um, the people that, you know, stopped at rep five and took a 30 second break, they didn't gain as much muscle size right. Right. because they weren't recruiting. They were stopping, they were giving themselves some rest. And so they weren't recruiting as many muscle fibers as they could, especially the high threshold, you know, muscle, the high threshold motor units that have the most capacity for hypertrophy. Um, but the question is, where do you start to really recruit those high threshold motor units? Well, like I said, um, some data suggests it's maybe about, you know, maybe when you're about three reps in reserve or so. So I, so I was like, how can I take the exertion load equation, modify it, um, and so it, it more reflects um, kind of, I would say, more of a, rather than an exponential curve, more of what it might look more like an S curve. Right. So if you imagine, um, and it, it, anyone who wants to check out my Instagram account, uh, actually my last Instagram post was on this, um, I made a graph of what, the hypothetical relationship would look like. And it looks kind of like an S curve. So like, you know, if you're doing 10 reps of failure, reps one, two, and three don't really stimulate much hypertrophy. I mean, you're not recruiting the high threshold motor units at that point, but then you get to rep four five. Now you start to recruit more and more fibers and, it, and, and, and the relationship climbs very steeply until you get to about rep seven and now you're stimulating most of the muscle fibers at that point, and then it starts to level off. And so then, you know, those last three reps are the most, you know, reps rep seven, eight, nine, ten, are probably your most stimulatory reps. And um, so I came up with a model that kind of, you know, basically models that relationship, and that's something I did in my research review. And uh, it's still it's it's still a complicated equation, uh, but uh, but it basically comes up with this idea of of all the reps that I'm doing in a set, you know, how many, how many reps could I consider, you know, hypertrophic reps, you know? And so for example, at least in my equation, you know, if you do a 10 rep set to failure around, you know, basically around five and a half to six of the reps can, can be considered hypertrophic reps. Um, um, but if you do like a 25 rep set to failure, it's still only, only the last five or six reps are the hypertrophic reps. All the other reps are just, you're just building up fatigue to, uh, to get uh, to get that same motor unit recruitment, so um, and, and see, uh, do, I think a lot. Really I think a lot it. of us. I think a lot of us who've been training for a long time understand that those are the reps that are really changing the architecture of the muscle. 
you know, I used yeah. to like to say that, you know, when it starts getting hard is when the growth really starts happening. You know, and when I say yeah. hard, you know, intensity being king, I'm talking about like you really want to stop because you really can't push this weight. Your, your form is starting to fail and you, you're eking out and you're, you're, you know that you're going to fail in a few more reps. And that is, that's where the good stuff happens. I, I used to always say on the show, if you quit before that, it's like paying your mortgage up to the 30th year and then defaulting and losing everything. It's like you, you, you just, you just lost everything you built by not carrying on just a little bit longer. Yeah, you, you need to recruit those highest threshold motor units. I mean, if you really want to maximize hypertrophy. And, and if you're using moderate to lightweights, then you've got to push. You don't necessarily have to go to failure um, because there's, there's plenty of data suggests you can stop a rep or two short of failure and still get the same gains. Um, but if you're stopping, you know, you know, four reps short of failure, um, yeah, you'll get a little bit of hypertrophy, but not nearly as much. I mean, that's what the data seems to suggest. So, so you, no matter what, you got to push yourself. And, and um, now if you're using really heavy weights, let's say like a three rep max, um, basically every rep is a hypertrophic rep. But the problem with the real heavy weights is you can't, then you're not getting enough volume. I was just going to say, they're, they're, not, they're not hypertrophic reps. And we see that in, look, um, power lifters are big guys, but, but bodybuilders are way more muscular. And, yep. and, and, you know, it, it, you're not, those are not hypertrophic reps. We, we know that. We know that the, the, you're not getting that, that heme, hemodynamic change in the muscle. You're not stimulating the, the effects of congestion in the muscle. You, you're getting neuromuscular adaptations. You're getting nerves that make deeper inroads. They recruit new muscle fiber. They're making more muscle fiber fire. That's happening, right? You know, you, you, you're putting in more, more electrical, wires you're putting in more sewage sewer systems but you're not building any new houses yet at that point in time you're just putting well, in the well, infrastructure it, it, you're still building infrastructure but you're not doing enough so, so let me give you an example but actually brad schoenfeld did a study where they compared two groups um or actually he's got two different studies and i'll, I'll actually describe two of them and this so they'll illustrate the concept here one study he compared three sets of basically three reps to failure to three sets of 10 to failure the group that did three sets of 10 to failure gained way more muscle, okay? Now, he also had another study where they did seven sets of three reps to failure compared to three sets of 10 to failure. And in that study, both groups gained the same amount of muscle. But, but that's the problem. When you're doing sets of three reps to failure, it's, it's very inefficient. You have to do way more sets to accumulate the same number of what we call hypertrophic reps. Um, but then it's just too hard on your joints and stuff. Like, like that one study where the, where the, the people did seven sets of three, you know, um, Brad, you know, will tell you that, you know, he had some dropouts in that study. People were complaining that they were getting sore joints and injured and stuff. It's just, you can't, um, you can't train with those low repetition ranges with enough volume without getting hurt, you know, um, because ultimately still it's the tension, the tension on the individual muscle fibers is what causes the muscle fiber to grow. And that muscle fiber doesn't know what the load is, you know. It's just being asked, asked to be recruited. And whether you're using heavy weights to recruit that fiber or light weights doesn't matter. You just want to make sure you recruit the fiber and put it under enough tension for a long enough period of time and enough, um, enough tension stimulus to get it to grow. Um, but the problem is when you're using the really heavy weights, yeah, you might recruit that fiber, 
and you place some tension on it, but you're not going to place enough tension for a long enough time on it unless you're doing way more sets. Right. And then again, you're going to hurt yourself and stuff. And so then it's just not, it's just way more efficient to use the moderate reps, the bodybuilding ranges, you yeah. know, it's way more efficient. And, and yeah. you know, there's, there's lots of ways to get volume, right? You know, you can get volume uh, by doing more reps, but you could also get volume by doing more sets or more, or more frequent, hit that muscle group more frequently through the week, which is what I'm yep. doing right now. So let, let's take a quick commercial break. When we come back, I want to, I want to talk about what you've discovered seems to be uh, the best balance between building strength and building bigger muscles for somebody who's, you know, just has an hour and a half, two hours in the gym, five days a week, you know, uh, what seems to work the best? How's that sound? Yeah, sounds good. Okay. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Superhuman Radio. What if a sports nutrition company actually let you try all of their best products for free before you ever bought one? You'd be dreaming, right? Well, you're not dreaming. Head over to efxsports.com and grab their new sample kit that includes not one, not two, but six of their top sellers. That's right. Six different samples of their top sellers sent out to you immediately to try. Just cover a small shipping and handling fee, and they're on their way to you. See for yourself why EFX Sports has taken the industry by storm and why so many athletes worldwide depend on their products, dominate their competition safely and legally. Head over to EFXSports.com right now and click the EFX Sample Kit in the online store and get your free kit today. Once again, that's EFXSports.com. Mitochondrial uncoupling is the holy grail of fat loss. Making mitochondria work harder raises body temperature and metabolic rate without the jitters of stimulants. Now there is an over-the-counter mitochondrial uncoupler that will let you shred your body down to the last pounds of body fat. It's Trojan Horse. This is the supplement breakthrough of the decade. Go to superhumanradio.com and click the Trojan Horse banner ad. Use coupon code SHR and save 20% off your order today. BlackstoneLabs.com. Trojan Horse. Now, the number one best-selling non-hormonal anabolic agent at PredatorNutrition.com. Progenidrex has established itself as the category killer. If you're having difficulty gaining muscle while staying lean, you owe it to yourself to try Progenidrex. 100% of store reviews rated it at five stars, the highest possible ranking. And today, right now, there are guys pouring their hearts out on the gym with little or nothing to show for it. Don't waste any more time. Go to PredatorNutrition.com today and get Progenidrex, the world's absolute best drug-free muscle gainer. If you suffer from abdominal bloating, relief is here. Introducing Atrontil. Developed by a board-certified gastroenterologist, it relieves bloating where it starts, in the small bowel. That's why Atrontil works while other remedies don't. In clinical trials, 88% of bloating sufferers who use prescription medications with no relief found Atrontil relieve their symptoms and it's available without a prescription because is made from a patented molecular combination of botanical extracts it's not a probiotic plus it's natural vegan gluten-free and non-gmo a-t-r-a-n-t-i-l 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 
Even the name is proven to make you feel better. Go to lovemytummy.com and use code SHR for 10% off. That's code SHR at lovemytummy.com. Lovemytummy.com. Whether your goal is to build muscle or burn fat, you'll find everything you need at Redcon 1. Need help getting a good night's sleep? Try Fade Out or the most popular pre-workout supplement on the market today, Total War. Sign up for their new transformation challenge and win $10,000 or shop for apparel that people at the gym will know that you are serious about your training. Need a testosterone booster that works? Check out Boomstick. Whatever you need, you'll find the best quality supplements on the market at Redcon 1. Go to redcon1.com. That's R-E-D-C-O-N, the number one, dot com, or go to superhumanradio.net and click the Redcon 1 banner ad today. There are a few products that I believe in the way I believe in Can-See eye drops. I've been using Can-See for six months now, and the changes in my vision are nothing short of amazing. Wow, that's an old commercial. The truth is I've been using Can-See eye drops for 11 years now, and I credit Can-See eye drops as being the reason that I do not need reading glasses at 58 years old. Can-See eye drops improve the quality and health of your eyes indefinitely. That's why I both use and endorse Cansee eye drops. Go to wisechoicemedicine.com and learn about how Cansee eye drops can improve the health of your eyes and the quality of your vision today. This is the Superhuman Channel, doing reps with the weight of the world. Welcome back. We're talking with James Krieger. You should be listening very hard to this because all of us want to make the best gains in the gym. Well, some of us do at least. And uh, you got to pay attention to what works because a lot of people spend years. I know people that have been in the gym the same time as I have, and they don't look any different. I definitely look different. And that's because not everything works. People love to say, well, everything works. No, that's not true. Not everything works. Uh, Some things work. Some things work better. And some things are the best. And trying to determine what the best is is really the goal of people like James Krieger and Brad Schoenfeld and Brett Contreras and, and people like that. And you got to pay attention to them because these guys are doing the real heavy lifting in the lab to to discover this stuff. It's not easy, as you can see, because it's all intermingled. It's like you, you make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and once you press together, you can't peel it apart and get the peanut butter and jelly separated again. The muscle is a very, very complex thing. Uh, we look at it like, you know, it's not that complex, but it is. There's a whole universe of stuff going on in there uh, inside the muscle and and trying to determine what are the real triggers that create strength and what are the tr- real triggers that create growth are very, very different. So currently um, I am training more like a bodybuilder. I'm getting older. I just turned 60. I don't have to prove that I – I've squatted he- very heavy. I've pulled very heavy. You know, I've never bench pressed heavy because I've just never been built to bench press. Bench press. That's just the way I am. But with that being said, I'm more interested in being 70 and looking really, really good, you know, ripped and muscular, just with a really old haggard face and colored hair. That's it. That's my goal. And so with that being said, like right now I'm training um, – I'm hitting – Every body part three times a week. I'm doing shorter uh, sessions on each body part, uh, but the volume adds up over the week, and 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 I give a different priority. So you know, Monday, like today, I started out with shoulders. I my first movement, I go for strength. I do five sets, and the rep ranges are lower. With my last set probably being in the five to eight rep range, and I'm really pushing. 
And then I'll move to back, but I'll do back, you know, 18, 20, 25 reps. I'll use a weight where I'm really working hard when I start. I mean, I actually start failing. And then the last set, maybe I'll only get 13 reps out of it. But I'll use a weight that I get the higher rep ranges. And then I'll go to chest and do that. And legs, you know, leg extensions, leg curls, blah, blah, blah. So by prioritizing that first movement and rotating my body part, each body part gets one day where it gets stimulated for neuromuscular adaptation and the rest of the week it's getting stimulated for hypertrophy. I'm doing higher reps, higher volume. And, I'm, and, and of course, the volume is accumulating over the week. What do you think of that approach? Yeah, I, I think if, if you, um, uh, especially if you're interested in both strength and hypertrophy, I mean, I think that's, that's definitely the best way to go about it is mixing your repetition ranges. Um, you know, whether or not that will actually create even more hypertrophy, I mean, some people argue theoretically yes, because you'll get some neural adaptation, which will then let you use heavier weights during your hypertrophy sets, which then should, you know, theoretically lead to more volume load over time and more gains. Um, that hasn't necessarily borne out in the research, but a lot of studies may be too short term to really determine whether that's the case. I mean, um, I'll give you one example. There was a study, uh, I think it was like a three month study where they compared three groups. One group did basically your typical body belt building range to failure, you know, eight to 12 reps to failure. Another group did high reps, you know, I think, you know, 20 to 30 to failure. Mm-hmm. And then the other group mixed the two, but they, they basically alternated every two weeks. So they would do two weeks of the high rep, two weeks of the moderate rep, but the muscle gains ended up being the same across all three groups. Um, but, you know, it's a three-month study, um, um, and that's actually one of the limitations you really have with a lot of these studies is, you know, um, sometimes you can't necessarily say what would happen over, you know, much longer periods of time. But uh, but at least in theory, um, there's, there's some theoretical benefit to, you know, mixing repetitions more, especially, I would say, definitely there's more than a theoretical benefit. If you're interested in both strength and hypertrophy, um, then definitely you need you need to do some training in the lower rep ranges. Otherwise, you don't get the specificity from a strength standpoint, you know? Yeah. So I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's working for me. Actually, what you just described is what I'm seeing. Uh, my strength is going up, and I am actually doing the same reps and volume at higher weights now uh, with different – like today when I went into – with shoulders, I did uh, – I was actually hitting 15 and 18 reps with – a hundred pounds in each hand. And yeah. like when I first started doing this, uh, 70 pounds was like, you know, 15 reps and that was it. But on top of that, I've had more than a couple people say to me, man, your shoulders are so big and round. And I look in the mirror and I really like them. I'm like, wow, man, my shoulders are really starting to look great. So I'm getting yeah. stronger, but I'm getting bigger. And, and you know what the other thing about this is, you know, people always talk about diet. Well, what's the best diet? The one that you can stick to. Right. And and this is not hard for me to do. It's actually enjoyable because even though I'm crushed after that first set of whatever the priority strength body part is that day, especially if it's back or legs, because, you know, legs, not so much because I'm not squatting right now. I've got I've got another surgery to have on my left foot first. But uh, I'm really exhausted after that, 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 that those five sets. 
but I, I, I go to myself, yeah, but the rest of this is going to be so easy. You know what I mean? Because I'm, I'm going to lighten up and I'm going to focus for 20, 25 reps and I'm going to get a good pump and I'm going to focus on my form and, and all that sort of stuff. So it, I don't dread like, oh God, I got to go in and do this again Wednesday. Oh man. You know, I don't feel that way. So what's the best routine? The one that you'll do consistently. Yeah. And, and, and that's the other thing is you have to consider, um, uh, things like, you know, um, injury risk and things like that, uh, you know, um, because you could have a, a great routine, but if it's, you know, let's say it's too much volume or too, you know, intensity is too high in, for certain exercises or, or, you know, or you're doing some exercises that just don't cooperate with your body. Um, it, even if it's a great program for, you know, stimulating whatever, you, you know, if your goal is hypertrophy or strength or whatever, um, if you get hurt and you can't train, then it's not going to matter. So, um, so, so that comes down to the consistency as well. You know, you, you got to be able to, um, whatever, you know, whatever your lifestyle is and everything, you know, it's got to be a training protocol that you can do consistently, um, you know, over, you know, weeks and weeks, uh, you know, cause hypertrophy is not something that happens overnight, you know, no, you so, got to be able to, and that's um, the other thing. And, and it's frustrating to me, uh, 13 years this November, you know, doing the show and over the past 13 years, the number of, um, well, 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 the, the general attitude of the average person because of the advertising of and marketing of different uh, companies and and even gurus out there who promise uh, you know just stupid changes in bodies in short periods of time, and you know it just doesn't happen that way. I'm sorry, and you have to be committed to the process. You have to enjoy the small weekly gains. Because that's what you live on. Yeah, you're going to get to where you need to go, but you, it's not going to happen perhaps in time for spring break or in time for your 40th yeah. college reunion, uh, high school reunion. But it will happen. Yeah. And and so many people are just not willing to wait long enough for it to occur. It's just sad to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, but what's interesting is, is those, those small gains – add up over time. And the same truth is with fat loss. In fact, I saw a quote on Facebook one time, um, and this guy who lost like a huge amount of weight, probably around, I don't remember the exact amount, but I think it was like around 200 pounds. And his quote was this. He goes, I didn't lose 200 pounds. I lost one pound 200 times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was just, it, he just focused on the small amounts and the consistency over time and it added up, you know. You know, the the other thing that I want to mention is that we're very selfish. You know, we want muscular gains because we want to be stronger in the gym or we want to look a certain way. You know, we want to look athletic. We want to look like bodybuilders. And so a lot of us are interested in this stuff for very, very, very selfish cosmetic reasons. You know, I remember talking to uh, uh, Sejin Lee, the guy who discovered myostatin, um, and he would never come on my show. He would reply to my emails. He would take my phone calls, and I would say, "Please come on the show." He goes, "No," and I, you know, I, and and I'd say, "Why won't you come on the show?" He says, "Because I'm trying to reverse muscle wasting to save a person from a disease. You guys just want bigger muscles because you think it's cool." And he thought that was so shallow of us. But the reality is that the work that you're doing, and the work that Brad Schoenfeld is doing. And the work that, you know, others that work with you guys are, are doing today. While, you know, in, in Brad's words, it's all 
all to look good naked, you know, and who doesn't want to look good naked, right? But the reality yeah. is, the reality is the value of this is now transferring into disease management. There's a group in New Zealand that, um, that took Parkinson's disease patients and dementia patients and started putting them into resistance programs. What they discovered was really interesting. Uh, not only does uh, training with weights, and they had like leg, they were making these people leg press and do push pull movements with weight. Not only was that this uh, helping to mitigate uh, some of the damages uh, that they suffer from the diseases, but what they found out was that when the person was asked to move the weight as fast as they could, granted, to you and me, we look at it and go, that's not moving very fast, but that's as fast. To them, it was moving fast. They saw changes in neuroplasticity. They saw upregulations in BDNF. They saw reversal of disease states. And so there's some magic in explosive movements that is now we're starting to understand as well. So, you know, the stuff that you guys are working on, yeah, it's all good. You know, I'm going to look great when I go to my 40th high school reunion, but it's making its way into disease management now, which is really, really friggin' exciting to me because I've been saying for 13 years that, you know, muscle is metabolic currency. Get into the gym and make a deposit today. Muscle will help you ward off disease. If you have a disease, acquiring more muscle and maintaining more muscle will allow you to manage that disease better. And, you know, the medical orthodoxy has acted like muscle is some, you know, oh, you know, th that's not medicine. Oh, yes, it is. It absolutely is. Oh, yeah, it definitely is. Yeah. So are you starting to see uh, uh, people from uh, the medical orthodoxy who are working in disease management coming to you guys and going, you know, we need to build the most efficient. We, have, we need to know the most efficient ways to build muscle to get these people healthy. Can you help us? Well, I, I, um, I have me specifically no, but I know some of my colleagues have been, uh, have definitely been involved in that. I mean, I know Brad's been doing work, uh, on elderly, uh, people. Um, he's had, you know, been involved in studies on, on elderly people. Um, I know Stu Phillips has really been involved in that a lot, um, as far as muscle wasting and atrophy, um, and sarcopenia and things like that. Uh, he's done, a lot of work in that area, both both from a training perspective, but also from a dietary protein perspective. So, um, uh, so yeah. So I would say definitely. Um, um, I, I think I think it's becoming more and more mainstream accepted um, the benefits of weight training um, for a variety of diseases. Um, and then you know we have doctors like my friend Spencer Nadalski. Um, oh yeah, sure. You know, Doctors who yeah, lift. Spencer, doctors who lift. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Doctors who lift. Yeah. Um, you know, Spencer is. I mean, for you know, you know, he's like exercises medicine and weight training is medicine. You know, he's all about that. You know, so, um, so yeah, I, I think you see it. You know, I, I you know, I think it's, it takes time for people to change their minds over time. You know, you know, especially in the medical orthodoxy. But I, but I think it is happening. So. Uh, could you stay with me through one more break? I want to ask you one last question, and that is, is there a value to just going straight to failure every single time, or are we making a big mistake there? Can you stay with me? Yeah. Okay, stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Supreme Radio. Yeah. 
What if a sports nutrition company actually let you try all of their best products for free before you ever bought one? You'd be dreaming, right? Well, you're not dreaming. Head over to efxsports.com and grab their new sample kit that includes not one, not two, but six of their top sellers. That's right. Six different samples of their top sellers sent out to you immediately to try. Just cover a small shipping and handling fee, and they're on their way to you. See for yourself why EFX Sports has taken the industry by storm and why so many athletes worldwide depend on their products, dominate their competition safely and legally. Head over to EFXSports.com right now and click the EFX Sample Kit in the online store and get your free kit today. Once again, that's EFXSports.com. Hey, this is Carl. Start your day just like I do with a high-dose lipospheric vitamin C from Live On Labs. You, too, can benefit from Live On Lab's lipospheric delivery system. No more pills or powders. That's outdated technology. Live On Labs has the world's most efficient vitamin delivery system, period. Learn a lot more today at liveonlabs.com and benefit from their new reduced pricing. That's liveonlabs.com, L-I-V-O-N, labs.com. There are a few products that I believe in the way I believe in CanSee eye drops. I've been using CanSee for six months now, and the changes in my vision are nothing short of amazing. Wow, that's an old commercial. The truth is I've been using CanSee eye drops for 11 years now, and I credit CanSee eye drops as being the reason that I do not need reading glasses at 58 years old. CanSee eye drops improve the quality and health of your eyes indefinitely. That's why I both use and endorse CanSee eye drops. Go to wisechoicemedicine.com and learn about how CanSee eye drops can improve the health of your eyes and the quality of your vision today. Whether your goal is to build muscle or burn fat, you'll find everything you need at Redcon 1. Need help getting a good night's sleep? Try Fade Out or the most popular pre-workout supplement on the market today, Total War. Sign up for their new transformation challenge and win $10,000 or shop for apparel that people at the gym will know that you are serious about your training. Need a testosterone booster that works? Check out Boomstick. Whatever you need, you'll find the best quality supplements on the market at Redcon 1. Go to redcon1.com. That's R-E-D-C-O-N, the number one, dot com. Or go to superhumanradio.net and click the Redcon 1 banner ads today. Ever feel like you want something crunchy? From the company that gave us the Quest Protein Bar, now comes the Quest High Protein Potato Chips. With 21 grams of high-quality protein and only 5 grams of carbs and no artificial ingredients. Just like Quest Bars, you'll feel like you're cheating, but you're not. Go to superhumanradio.com and click the Quest High Protein Potato Chip banner ad today and get ready to be satisfied. Thanks to Quest Nutrition, chips just aren't what they used to be. Eat dessert again with the new 100% natural line of high-protein, low-carb Quest Protein Bars. I love lemon cream pie and strawberry cheesecake, but you can choose from chocolate peanut butter, coconut cashew, or cinnamon roll as well. No matter which one you try, you'll feel like you're eating dessert, but this is no ordinary dessert. With 20 grams of high-quality whey protein isolate, 17 grams of prebiotic fiber, and sweetened with stevia, these bars will make you feel like you're cheating, but you're not. Go to superhumanradio.com and click the Quest Protein Bar banner ad to learn more about these clean and delicious protein bars. This is the Superhuman Channel. Evolution just got kicked up a notch. Welcome back. We're talking with James Krieger. His website is Weightology, W-E-I-G-H-T-O-L-O-G-Y.net. Lots of great information there. Check in with it. Read something there today, and you'll actually be stronger tomorrow. How do you like that? I promise you. I promise you. Uh, so, James, 
you know, so for, for the, the meathead that I am, do I need to do all this calculation and math or do I just go for failure? Uh, at least if I'm doing three sets, at least my last set, if I'm doing five sets, maybe my last two sets, do I just shoot for failure and say the heck with it? Or am I actually starting to tempt overtraining and perhaps even pushing my gains backwards? So I would say, I think it depends on the exercise. Um, and also the frequency of your training and your volume and everything like that. I will say this, um, I don't think you need to do every set to failure. Um, cause when you do that, the problem with doing that is, especially that last rep to failure, you know, especially if you're grinding out that last rep or two, every set, um, it causes a lot of fatigue, which then affects your performance later in a workout or, you know, within a few days, you know, if you're training, you know, a body part, you know, with a certain, you know, say two to three days per week. Um, which then may, in the long run, may, you may actually may not gain as much because, um, because you're not able to train as actually as, as hard. And so, um, I've always felt that maybe most of your sets, uh, should be, you know, they should still be hard sets, maybe one to two reps in reserve, I think is a good point. And, and then maybe, you know, you know, maybe have that last set or two to failure, you know, something like that, or maybe have, or maybe set up a training cycle to where um, you're doing most of your training within one to two reps in reserve, and then you you have like a period of two weeks where you just you know uh, push every set to failure just to challenge yourself and to kind of see where you're at, things right. like that. Right. Um, um, but I think although this hasn't been researched, because um, uh, we do know there's there doesn't seem to be any hypertrophy difference between stopping a rep or two short of failure and going to failure. So so if you can stop a rep or two short of failure, that may actually may allow you to train with more volume yes. even within a session because 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 you have a little bit less fatigue and you're able to train with a little bit more weight on each subset, uh, subsequent set and everything. Um, so um, so so like I said, I say you know definitely most of your sets should be hard. They should be close to failure, but they don't necessarily need to be abs- to absolute failure every every set. You know, so, it's it's funny. So. Um, earlier in the year, I was doing nothing but giant sets, three and four movement giant sets. And I do that more for cardiovascular conditioning than strength because while you can get strong that way, it, it's really more a challenge of, of, of endurance and, and conditioning at that point in time. And usually the last movement that I would do, let, let's say that the previous uh, a move, a group of movements I did, I, I, let's just say for the sake of this discussion, I hit 15 reps with everything I did. The very, very last one, I probably could go to 15 reps or maybe 14 and fail, but I actually stop at 10 with each of them because I kind of feel like I, it, it's like a dessert at the end of the workout because I'm, I'm, I'm now I'm ready to go on to the next movement with, with more uh, enthusiasm than feeling crushed and walking away from what I just did and going, oh, now I've got to do this. And so yeah, there's, yeah. A men- there's a mental aspect to that last set actually backing off the gas pedal just a little bit. Yeah, um, I, I can say with my own personal experience with one case where um, I went through a period of time where I was doing a, a bunch of rest-pause training, kind of uh, similar to Berg Fagerly's uh, mile rep stuff. So, um, uh, you know, so I do a set to failure, take a 20-second rest, pump out more reps to failure, take a 20-second rest. And I would do that like, you know, and I basically do like four or five little mini rest-pause sets, you know. Um, and my training volume wasn't that high. 
but I was just, after a workout, I'd be wiped because I was doing that for every muscle group. And so every set was to failure and taking those 20 second rest. And it was just like, it was, and I was, I was getting to a point where I was starting to dread my workouts because even though my workouts weren't very long, uh, it was just like, I was like, man, I just, I don't think I can keep this up. Uh, so then I, I made a modification where I actually stopped going to, you know, then I started doing the same training technique but I would actually stop a rep or two short of failure, not only on my first set, but even on my little mini sets, um, you know, rather than doing, let's say a mini set was like four reps to failure, I'd stop at rep two or three. Um, and then I found that was much more enjoyable and sustainable for me. Um, yet I was still training, I was still training hard, you know? So, um, but I just wasn't like, just wiping myself out to where I just was dreading training. And so. that, and that comes back to what I said earlier, you know, the, the best workout routine is the one that you can consistently do and enjoy and feel good about. You know, one of the earliest signs of overtraining is that you start dreading coming into the gym. Uh, you yeah. know, we've talked about this over the years and it's worth just ending the interview with this, you know, overtraining doesn't do you any good, and it makes you more prone to injuries more than anything else. It can actually make you prone to illnesses, quite frankly. Um, there are lots of easy ways to assess overtraining. They all work. Uh, I like Dan Johns the best, and I'm going to say it last. But number one, if you start losing your libido, you're training too hard. If you start yeah. having really poor sleep, you're training too hard. If you wake up in the morning and you notice that your heart rate is really rapid, you're training too hard. Um, uh, also... If you start dreading going to the gym, you're tra you need to back off. You need to take some time off. Dan John came on my show probably seven, eight years ago, and he said, pick a key on the keyboard. Open up Microsoft Word. Pick a key on the keyboard. Set a timer. And for 15 seconds, tap that key as many times as you can. Do this after you've taken a layoff. Maybe you've been off for three or four days. You feel really good. You're, you're chomping at the bit to get back in the gym. Do it then. See how many times... You can tap that key in 15 seconds and then save that as a record. Count it. When you start thinking, gee, I wonder if I'm getting overtrained. I don't know if I feel good. Try it again. Your response time will be slower. You will not be able to hit the key as many times in 15 seconds. Try it. Get yourself used to figuring these things out. Because what we learned from Leo Costa's work when he worked with the Ukrainians and the Russians is that flirting with overtraining is okay, but going deep into overtraining makes you regress. It makes you slow down. So you have to understand where the line is. And the best way to understand where the line is to pay attention to your body and do things like that can help you assess whether or not you're starting to reach overtraining. You want to add anything to that? No, I think, I think that's put, I think you put it perfectly. So I don't really have anything to add there. Listen, I want to thank you for making time to come on the show and I, and we won't make it uh, quite as long <laughs> to have you back on. How's that sound? Yeah. Yeah. I'd be happy to. So, Thanks a lot, James. Take care. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, my pleasure. So that's it. Website is Weightology, W-E-I-G-T-H-O-L-O-G-Y.net. Check it out. Uh, of course, that's today's show. Where else do you get good information to make these kind of gains? Plus, all sorts of great health stuff. I mean, just superhuman radio. That's it. I'm asking all my listeners to share shows. I've asked you before. This is a great show to share. It's chock full of information that'll help people make better gains in the gym, even if they're weekend warriors, even if they don't even get it about the science of training. Pass this show around. Help us grow the audience. I'd really appreciate it. We'll see you tomorrow with more. Tomorrow's uh, Coach uh, Rob will be on. And also, tomorrow afternoon after Rob's show, 
We're doing an amazing show. Has the increase in probiotic and prebiotic fiber use fueled the SIBO epidemic? Huge, huge discussion that you will not hear anywhere else but here. Tune in then. Thanks for listening today.